hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Queer Money. This week, we're touching on a subject that's uh, a little touchy for many of us who are getting close or either are either in our 40s, and it's all about fitness. This is kind of a time in life when many of us decide that uh, maybe we're done, but in reality, it looks like that's changing. A recent study in The Telegraph in the UK pointed out that men in their 40s, there's a surge in more of them going back into the gym and getting fit. So what's causing this and how can we do a better job with it? We invite elite personal trainer from Hollywood, Aaron Guy, to be on our show this week. And he's going to share with us not only some tips on what we can do to get back into the gym, but ways that we can do it better. And you'll get some advice uh, and see some laughs from what John and I are doing. So join us for this great episode of Queer Money. Let's get on with the show. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. Hey, let's see if this card goes through for that $8,000 drink. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody wants to be a part of the in crowd. Everybody wants to to look good. My my decision was, I'm not a victim. I'm not going to stay and work someplace where this is a problem. Normally, we don't drink on queer money, but because we're talking about a subject that David is rather vanilla on... Grab a glass of wine, because you're listening to Queer Money with the Debt-Free Guys. This is the only show helping our community do more and be more by talking about money from the queer perspective. So welcome back to Queer Money, Aaron. We're glad to have you. Thanks. It's good to be here. Absolutely. What have you been, what's new with you? What's been going on that you might want to share with our audience? Just working away. Yeah. Um, personal training, obviously, that's my my first passion. Um, also, I teach group classes at Phoenix Effect. Um, and yeah, just working on uh, social media has become a big part of my brand now. Um, so really focusing on that and uh, continuing education is super important to me as well. So I stay pretty busy. Very cool. That's yeah. nice. What? Um, where can our audience find you on social media? So I'm on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash CPT, as in certified personal trainer. Mm-hmm. Um, my Twitter handle is CPT, and my Instagram handle is Guy underscore CPT. Okay. Those are the three main. I have not succumbed to the Snapchat. <laughs> it's inevitable. <laughs> we, we have a need to- no, but I can do Snapchat like things on Instagram. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. that's absolutely true. So yeah. we'll put all that information in our show notes so our audience can uh, find you there if they weren't able to write that down. Right. Awesome. I'll, I'll just say definitely if you want a little bit of motivation before you're at or while you're at the gym, check out some of Aaron's videos on Facebook. Uh, he posts some short, quick videos on great exercises, which we're going to get hopefully get into some of that. But, uh, you know, yeah. if you're looking for a little bit of inspiration, check them out. Yeah. People really respond to videos. Yeah. Nice. That's very cool. Yeah, they do. Uh, they're a lot of fun. Um, so the, the, daily, the Telegraph article that we referenced um, basically was saying that 40 isn't fatal. And it seems like at least the trend in um, the UK is that um, men in their 40s are starting to hit, get back to the gym again. And I thought that was kind of interesting because um, you know, it seemed like um, the dad bod was kind of a phase there for a minute. So you're you're the fitness professional. Are you seeing um, older men getting back to the gym and getting re re engaged with exercise? 
Yeah, I mean, I live in Los Angeles. So for me, it's not really a thing of people getting back into it. It's the people staying consistent with it. They've been doing it. Um, but yes, it's definitely a trend. Um, I see plenty of 40-year-olds who are living very healthy, active lifestyles nowadays. So I think that that whole 40 is fatal. <laughs> it's something that we've created as gay men, um, that after 40, you're just dead to the community. Right. Um, but I, I personally find most men in their 40s to be the most attractive. Yeah. So, and I think that what I'm seeing is you're seeing guys who are in their 40s who don't look like they're in their 40s because of the steps they're taking to lead these healthy, active lifestyles. I yeah. mean, I'm almost 40. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I turned 43 um, on Monday, and I was just told I look great. <laughs> Someone told me the other day, you look great for your age. I want to look like you when I get older. Oh, smack. <laughs> really. So, yeah, I don't know if it's me or because I'm older now or that because men are older or better in better shape in their older age now. But I have seen a lot of older guys who look like they're in great shape and they're very impressive. And it's, it's inspiring to see. Absolutely. I totally agree. And, you know, like I said, being in L.A., but even being in Chicago, there's definitely um, I mean, people are taking it more seriously. I, I think it stems from. The baby boomer generation is the first generation, and a lot of my clients are baby boomers, mm -hmm. that really has taken an active role in leading a longer, healthier, active lifestyle. And I think that's trickled down to Gen Xers. I consider myself a Gen Xer. So, um, you know, approaching 40, um, and most Gen Xers are in their 40s. So I think that, you know, that baby boomer generation has kind of led the path for people to want to, you know, look good in their 40s and 50s. I mean, I know guys in, I have clients in their 60s and 70s. Nice. So, and, you know, our goals change as we get older, um, but there's still an emphasis always on aesthetics. Yeah. So, yeah, you're definitely seeing uh, an aging population. I hate using that term. <laughs> so <laughs> negative, but it's true. You know, we're seeing an aging population that's staying active. Yeah, nice. Well, so that um, good. I was just going to say, I, I think that what I find very interesting is I think that especially in our queer community, uh, we we came from a background where we started to kind of come to our own, and it, the the AIDS crisis hit, and yeah. there were a lot of people who were um, who at that time because of the AIDS crisis were getting into. Um, physical fitness and, and looking good because a fair number of individuals were taking steroids to stay alive. Absolutely. And I think that that has had a major impact on how the, the queer community, especially men, uh, wanted to continue to look healthy and fit. And You're right. I know that, you know, growing up uh, when I was in my late teens and early 20s and I saw gay individuals, it always seemed like there was this emphasis on on having a, a, a perfect body, you know, sure. being a, being attractive and having the perfect body. I mean, I think we all want to have the perfect yeah. body, but um, I think that it's it has had a major impact on our community. And now that we're not battling that crisis, I think it's beneficial for us because we still want to have and look good, yes. which has to have some physical uh, and mental um, impacts on us being more healthy. Absolutely. I, I say this all the time. That had a huge impact on 
gay men's attitudes towards physical looks and fitness. I come from the era, I mean, I came of my gay youth in the 90s, and that was the circuit boy. So what I grew up seeing, and I remember the first time going to a gay bar, and I was 19 years old, and I walked in, and it was like a scene out of Queer's Folk. All these beautiful men, shirtless in their underwear, dancing on boxes. And I remember looking around and thinking to myself, if I'm going to survive in this community, I have to look like that. And that's when I started working out. But yes, it stemmed from, you know, you would go to circuit parties and all that still sticks with me today. So I still have that. That's what I'm supposed to look like. I'm supposed to be big. I'm supposed to be buff. I'm supposed to be smooth. Um, And that did stem from the AIDS crisis, because when somebody looked like that, they didn't look sick. Right. And I think that um, that's another reason that maybe now it's a little more unfamiliar that you're seeing older gay men in the gym is because our generation didn't have that because a lot of them died. Right. So we didn't get to see them go through that phase um, and, and look up to them and see them because they were sick. Um, but I think that had a huge impact on me. I don't necessarily know if it was a good thing. Um, it definitely created a lot of body dysmorphia for people. It set unrealistic goals and expectations. Steroids are a huge part of the gay community. Um, but I think this younger generation now, millennials, um, are less prone to that ideal. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's something I've, I don't want to say battled, but you know, that's what I grew up seeing. So that's what's familiar to me, and that's how I feel like I still have to look these days. Um, but these younger kids, you know, they're a little more comfortable with their bodies. At least it appears that way. You've got much – I remember when you were a circuit boy or you were nothing. Now you've got groups of bears. You've got groups of – Otters. Otters. Zebras. But you go to a bar now – And there's a much wider range of body types and what people are generally attracted to. And then you brought up the whole dad bod. And, you know, I, I always tell people I have a very high expectation of my own body, but I don't push that expectation on other people. It's a common misconception that I would only be attracted to somebody who looks like me. And I actually kind of prefer somebody who's a little more real. You know, like to me, somebody that doesn't have a six pack, that's that to me says, oh, they like to eat. <laughs> like, you know, here, here. Like <laughs> yeah, we're going I, out for pasta know, tonight. <laughs> we, just, we set such high expectations on our community. And I think a lot of that did stem from the AIDS crisis. And now that that's not an issue anymore, um, you're seeing that kind of evolve. Um, now you're seeing people wanting to be healthy. And for me, a huge part of with my clients is injury prevention because aging and wanting to be active, playing sports, we have a lot of gay sports leagues. I see a lot of clients injured. And so I see a lot of clients who've done excessive overuse of joints throughout the years in the gym uh, who have injured their shoulders. I see a lot of knee injuries. So preventing those injuries now, I think, is a much bigger part of uh, the desire versus just looking good at a circuit party, which in the 90s, that's all it was. Well, that's all. That was the main reason we went to the gym seven days a week, practically. (laughs) Absolutely. And and now we're lucky 
We try to get to the gym at least three, three days, days a week. If we can get to four, that'd be that's a, that's a big four. win, but that's a little hard. But <laughs> well, so um, so now that we are you know approaching our forties or in our forties, what um, and say we're trying to get back into shape. Say we we adopted the the dad bod phase, um, and we realize that that's not really what we want to look like anymore, or that you know, that kind of got out of control. What yeah. how do, how do I get back into shape? What what would you suggest is is optimal? Um, well, I think that most, everyone should incorporate some form of strength training into their, uh, regimen. Mm -hmm. Um, and if that's something that somebody is unfamiliar with, they should seek out some sort of guidance. And I understand personal training is expensive, but even if you just make an investment in a few sessions, just to kind of get something laid out where you have a program, having a plan helps. Um, I think doing things that, uh, get you involved in activities, but not necessarily going to the gym because a lot of people just don't like going to the gym or they don't feel comfortable going to the gym. Mm -hmm. So group classes are a huge thing now. You're seeing a lot of uh, different types of group classes. You know, SoulCycle has basically reinvented spin. You've got all kinds of boot camps. You've got CrossFits, which... I'm not a huge fan of for particular reasons, which I'll detail later. Um, but many boot camp style classes, Barry's Boot Camp, My Place, Phoenix Effect, where we do functional group training. Um, so there's ways to get people in to doing things without just saying, okay, go to the gym. And somebody walks into the gym and they're like, I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And the, what they usually gravitate to is cardio. Mm -hmm. And that would, I would say would be, probably one of the biggest mistakes is that people have this mindset of, Oh, I have to lose the weight before I can do anything else. And I need to do that by doing cardio. And it's much more in depth than that. And I spend a lot of a lot of time reprogramming people's thought process on that whole, like I have to run, I have to do the elliptical to lose weight. Um, so yeah, there's, there's many ways to get people involved nowadays um, it's just finding what's the right niche for somebody. Right. Can I ask you, so, so you said you're not a big fan of people focusing so much on cardio. Um, yes. is, is, are people not, are, does that not produce the results that people want? So this is my thing with cardio. When most people are doing steady state cardio, say running for 45 minutes or going on the elliptical for 45 minutes, uh, your body is using energy from fat and oxygen. Okay. When you stop that process, that process stops. When you do stuff that's more anaerobic, high intensity intervals, you push yourself into a higher metabolic zone, which makes you burn more calories during the activity, but it also kind of kicks you into this overdrive after the fact. Yeah. So what I always tell my clients is we want you to be as metabolic as possible by becoming more metabolic, by increasing lean muscle mass in your body. And by doing things like high intensity intervals where you're kicking yourself into a metabolic zone for a period after you leave the gym, you're continuing to burn calories throughout the day. So I always say to my clients, you should really not be in the gym more than an hour. Okay. There's no need. When someone tells me they're working out for three hours a day, I think it's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. um, so what we want is we want you to be more effective at burning calories when you're at work, when you're driving to work, when you're sleeping. So that makes you... Put on more lean muscle, which increases your metabolism, which allows you to eat more. So people had this mindset, you know, I want to eat less to lose weight, and then I have to do all this excessive cardio to burn fat. 
And really that's been debunked. So what we're seeing now is people are leaning more towards uh, a lean athletic approach to their bodies. Mm -hmm. Um, And we get that through increasing metabolism by doing high intensity interval workouts. And um, I don't think cardio is bad. I think um, I mentioned, I saw in your notes, you talked about cortisol levels. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things that people don't realize, and I say this all the time to my clients, um, overtraining is equally as ineffective, ineffective as undertraining. So when you're doing any sort of training, you are creating stress on your body. Your body cannot differentiate between stress from lack of sleep, stress from work, stress from going to the gym. I mean, essentially, when you're working out, you're putting stress on your body and stress increases cortisol levels. So when you're going for long periods of extensive cardio for 45 minutes to an hour, you're putting a lot of stress on your body. Then you throw into the fact that people lead very busy lives. People work a lot. People are sleep deprived. People don't eat right. You've got all this stress compounding. And yes, then your cortisol levels can increase and it can in fact do the opposite of what you want. Cortisol tends to hold on to body fat. So if you're wanting to do something uh, higher intensity for a shorter period of time, you put less stress on the body. But you're burning a lot of calories. So I always say, like, work harder for a shorter period versus, you know, extending it out for a long period so that you're not increasing those cortisol levels. Gotcha, gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. It sounds like we need to change our workout program because our strategy right now is that we'll go to the gym and I'll do about a half hour of cardio. He'll do 20 minutes and then um, we'll meet up. Um, after he's done a little bit of lifting and I'm done doing my cardio and then we'll lift um, for about a half hour, 45 minutes or so. But it sounds like we should maybe just increase our lifting intensity a little bit more. Correct. So, um, you know, there's different types of lifting. There's uh, different, you know, uh, there's different programs for different goals. Mm -hmm. So uh, we've got strength, we've got power, we've got hypertrophy, which is increasing muscle cell size, so getting bigger. Mm -hmm. Um, And not everyone kind of associates strength training with just getting bigger. Right. Um, So that's not necessarily true. When we're talking about somebody wanting to focus on hypertrophy or getting better, we tend to keep people in the eight to 12 rep range with three to four sets with 60 seconds of rest in between. But uh, if we're talking about strength, we're going to talk about doing lower reps and um, so maybe one to five reps. Um, and if we're talking about more endurance and power, we were going to go a little bit higher. We might go into the 12 to 15 rep range. Um, and I think that you guys should definitely do your weight training first because you're expending less. You're expending energy while you're doing your cardio first. Mm-hmm. Then you're going to the weights. So do the weights first. Focus on that. And you can make that high intensity you could superset exercises so that your heart rate is still up. You know, when I do, people ask me all the time what I do for cardio and abs and I tell them squats. <laughs> people are always like, what? <laughs> or deadlifts. Yeah. I'm doing a deadlift. If I'm doing a 350 pound deadlift and you've seen my videos, okay. um, it takes me two to three minutes to recover from that. My heart rate is elevated. It's a total body exercise. I am whooped after that. So that's making me more metabolic. Now, if I were to go and do 45 minutes on the elliptical and then come to do deadlifts, I would not have as much power and strength to execute that exercise the way it should be executed. Now, you should always do a warm-up. 
Right. Don't get me wrong. Right, and that was my question. What kind of a warm-up would you recommend that most average 40-year-olds do? Okay, so the biggest thing right now and the biggest trend in fitness, and it's huge in L.A., is mobility. You're going to hear a lot about mobility if you haven't already. So um, when I'm looking at clients, especially in their 40s, I'm considering a lot of things, including postural distortions um, and lifestyle uh, choices and um, occupational uh, uh, incidences that would affect. So I see a lot of clients come in with structural issues. Okay, so if, if I have a client who has excessive postural problems where they're leaning forward, these have to be corrected. Because if I were to take somebody who has postural distortions and do something complex like a deadlift with them, it's just compounding uh, dysfunction on top of dysfunction, which eventually leads to injury, which right. is what we want to avoid. So the first thing that clients should do is mobility. And that can be done in a variety of ways. You see a lot of people now at the gym uh, with lacrosse balls and foam rollers. Mm -hmm. um, and basically what they're doing is they're doing inhibitory techniques. They're trying to release tension um, from overactive muscles. So we talk about overactive and underactive muscles. And so by helping to release that tension, we allow the joints to behave more properly. And so I do certain movements with clients and mobility, particularly things like hips and shoulders, because those tend to be um, the most affected. Um, and thoracic spine, people have a lot of low back issues and that's usually related to the hips or the thoracic spine. Mm -hmm. Um, so mobilizing first, then I would have them do some form of dynamic movements. So dynamic movements are when we take your body through a full range of motion, um, like a leg swing, or I might have you do like a lunge with a rotation or a lunge with an overhead you know, reach. So we're taking you through multi-planar movements, multi-directional movements, getting the blood flowing, jumping rope, something like that for like five minutes, okay. maybe even hop on the elliptical for five minutes. The biggest thing that I tell people is you should not static stretch before working out. And I see a lot of people do that. So yeah. static stretching. <laughs> yeah. So that's actually problematic because so static stretching is when you just hold a stretch. And the ones that most people want to do are hamstrings mm -hmm. and calves and things like that. So they go and they lay on the floor and they do a hamstring stretch. And your muscles aren't warmed up at that point. So it actually can uh, make you more prone to injury because you're basically stretching a cold muscle, which is what we don't want. We want you to be warmed up. So save that, st that style of stretching for the end of the workout. Okay? Um, so think mobilizing inhibiting overactive muscles, um, and then dynamic movements. And then when we talk about underactive muscles that are involved with postural, usually posterior chain, so muscles in the middle back, things that help pull the shoulders back, I would do some sort of activation techniques with my clients with that, like trying to get their scapula engaged by having them do like a band where they're squeezing their shoulder blades together. So essentially we're waking up those muscles. Another big one would be glutes, like having someone go on the floor and just do some basic glute bridges. So you're kind of saying to the butt, like, hey, wake up. We're about to start using you. Hey, <laughs> it's the David exercise. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so that way, when you go into your your movements, you're, you're prepped, you're mobilized. Um, you'll notice a huge change, even with the mobility for from the structural standpoint you'll be structurally more sound for that workout. It tends to last for 
the workout. So we correct some postural issues. Then we go into the workout. Then I would say do your high-intensity interval cardio, which really should last, you know, 10 to 15 minutes. You don't need to do 45 minutes of long, steady-state cardio. It's over. I know. And and people ask me all the time what I do for cardio. And and I see like, I'll do 15 minutes on the stairs, you know, but don't get me wrong. Some people like cardio. I have clients who like to run. That's fine. I'm not going to tell my clients not to run. My job as a trainer though, is to make sure that they're structurally set up so that they're running correctly and not compensating. So they don't injure themselves. That makes sense. Um, but it depends on your goals. You know what I mean? If, do you want to be an Olympic runner? Then I'm going to tell you, you're probably going to have to run a lot more. <laughs> yeah. If you want to lose body fat and tone up and put on a little bit of muscle, then I would say that doing 45 minutes of cardio is probably not the best thing. And focusing on strength training um, and high intensity intervals would be best for you. Gotcha. Sorry, that was a long winded answer. No, it's a lot of great information. And it's, it's a, I, I know that David and I, it sounds like I've been doing a lot of things wrong and we can maybe um, improve our workout right it's not not wrong it's just it's old information yeah yeah. we've evolved as a fitness community and uh it's hard for people to break those habits because that's what you know i with my older clients it's very hard for them to understand that fat is not bad my younger clients get it they're like oh fat doesn't make you fat sugar makes you fat but my older clients still have that programming of, oh, low fat. I should be eating low fat. Low fat's good because it doesn't have fat. Fat's bad. Fat's bad. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's, you know, I'm in an industry that is ever changing. It's ever evolving. New science is always coming out. Um, and it's hard to break habits of people who've, you know, been told to lose weight, you need to run. Right. Yeah. Most people can run. All you need is a pair of shoes. Yeah. What I mean? So, and then people are embarrassed to go to the gym. So they say things like, well, I want to lose this weight before I go to the gym. So I'm going to run. But really what they're doing is they're setting themselves up for injury. Yeah. Huh. So I think he just said I can have ice cream. Because yeah. that's not bad. No, he said that sugar was bad and the ice cream oh, was full of sugar. I know, but I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I had ice cream. <laughs> but this is what I tell people. My clients are always like, you eat ice cream? And I'm like, of course I do. That's why I work out. You know, I spent a lot of time uh, building my muscle and I have a lot of, I'm, you know, 5'10", 220 pounds and I have a lot of muscle having a lot of muscle means I have a high metabolism. My, my resting metabolic rate is a lot higher than a guy who is 185 pounds. So for me, I can eat four to 5,000 calories a day and not put on body fat because I'm burning it. I also have a very active lifestyle. I'm on my feet all day at work. You know, those are all things that you have to take into consideration. But, you know, deprivation and saying I can't have ice cream, you know, it's, it's, it's not realistic. We all deserve ice cream once. We all deserve ice cream once in a while, David. <laughs> so had a spoon bender on Sunday. I did have a spoon bender. <laughs> right, I've been there. Trust and me. And I, I don't. I don't have the metabolic rate that you have. <laughs> so but you will. I will soon. Uh, give me. Give me a little t- time. So when you're saying high intensity workout, I'm thinking um, circuit training. Is that old school thinking, or is that what you're along the lines of what you're thinking? No, that's true. Um, So high intensity interval is usually when we are taking you through intervals. So we've got you going to an interval that would be a high intensity, which 
generally takes you at about 85% of your maximum heart rate to 95%. Okay. I would never take someone to a hundred percent of their max rate. Um, and my, my cue for clients with high intensity is that you should really not be able to do that movement for more than a minute. If you can do that movement for more than a minute, it's probably not high intensity enough. My personal feeling is you can't really do a high intensity interval on an elliptical machine. Okay. But if you were to do like five clients who want to run, I tell them do sprints or do hill sprints, you know, so you sprint as fast and hard as you can up a hill for less than a minute, maybe 30 seconds. And then you bring it down to a fast walk, bring your heart rate back down to under 85%. And those, these are all easy numbers to figure out. Um, just so your audience knows to find your maximum heart rate, the textbook version is 220 minus your age. And then times that by 85% or that would be your max heart rate. And if you want to find your 85%, multiply it by 85%. Okay. And then for the lower intensity, we usually say around 65. That's more of an aerobic based. Um, it's hard for me to get my heart rate down to that low. Um, so I usually just come down to a point where I feel like I could have a brief conversation and then back to a sprint. Okay. Usually I find people do well with like two to one intervals. So 30 seconds on, one minute off, 30 seconds on, one minute off. As people become more conditioned, they will notice that their heart rate will recover faster, which is actually a good sign. Sure. Um, and you will probably notice that you might be able to increase your uh, time of your high intensity interval. But again, if you can go beyond one minute, you need to increase the intensity, okay. not time. How does this translate to lifting weights? Or are you only doing intense cardio exercises? Oh, no, 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 no. I okay. love to lift weights. Okay. So uh, for me, I like to lift traditionally. I, uh, for me, aesthetics is a big part of my training. It's, it's, my body is my business card. So right. I spend a lot of time doing hypertrophy training. Um, which involves, you know, doing a set for a specific muscle group, isolated, um, with rest in between. Um, I have gone through strength cycles where I focused more on strength and did lower reps. But again, I needed more recovery time. Um, the majority of my clients, however, don't actually want that look or aspire to that look. I, you know, I come from a bodybuilding background. Um, and they don't want that. They want to be athletic, lean. And so what I would do is I would incorporate more total body movements versus isolated movements um, and superset them with high intensity intervals. So an example would be doing a compound movement like a dumbbell thruster, where you're holding a pair of dumbbells, you're going into a squat and you're coming up and pushing overhead. I would have them do, you know, either for time or reps, a specific amount and then I would say, okay, now you're going to come over here and you're going to do burpees. So that's their high intensity. And then I might do a, 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 a superset or I might do a triset of exercises and then say, okay, now take a minute rest. So we're going through, there's constant movement. Yeah. We're, keeping, we're keeping the heart rate elevated, but we're also bringing the heart rate down at points. Um, so supersetting between weight-based exercises and body weight movements, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, high intensity moves like, um, burpees, mountain climbers, jumping jacks, um, any jumping rope, things like that. 
all the things that we used to do in gym class when we were kids. <laughs> doing it again. Which is kind of, isn't it kind of funny that that's, it seems like that's what is, so much of it is coming back to is, so, hey, yeah. get out there and play. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It's like, you know, at my gym, they just, they ripped out a bunch of old machines and they replaced it with this turf with, uh, you know, barbells and bumper plates and kettlebells and monkey bars. I mean, we have a lot of people now doing obstacle course races. Yeah, I've seen yeah. that. Um, and again, uh, a huge injury rate. But that's why when someone comes to me and says, I want to do a Spartan race, I say, okay. And I go do research as a trainer and I look at the specific obstacles that are going to be involved in that course. And I train them to be able to handle those forces correctly so that they're not coming in and injuring themselves and they can complete it successfully without injury. Because right. I have a friend who was trying to go over a wall and he fell and he busted both of his patellar tendons oh. and he literally couldn't walk for six months. So that's what we want to avoid. That was a friend, not a client. <laughs> sure, it still um, sounds painful. Yeah, so, you know, and when you're, you're, that's not only physically debilitating, but mentally, you know, the mental... Uh, consequences that come with having to be bedridden for six months, especially for a gay man, right. you're sitting there going, Oh my God, my body is changing. And you know, that, that plays a lot. And then down the road, when someone's been injured, there's always a psychological component to fear of, Oh God, this could happen again. Right. So try to prevent all that. Yeah. yeah. I, um, I, Completely, ex I understand what you're talking about. I, I uh, snapped my ACL tendon skiing, and I will not ski because I know so many people who have hurt themselves skiing. Yeah. It is probably the most common injury I see. Yeah. How, how was that? Well, I, I know you know uh, when I did that, I, I was in relatively good shape. Uh, yeah, and I took pictures of my leg um, after I think maybe about three or four weeks into the recovery of, of it and just not using my leg for, for basically three months. It was, Absolutely. you know, the two, right. The two next to each other. I literally, my leg looked like somebody, I, like I was 60, 70 years old. And not that that's a bad thing, but for one of them to look like that and the other one to look okay. <laughs> <It's weird. laughs> was, but like, mentally, how did that affect you? Well, it, you know, the last hard. time we went skiing, I skied for half a day because I didn't feel like I wanted to be up there for a full day. I was very, very cautious. I went to a resort where there were very few people because I didn't want to be around a lot of individuals. That The accident that, I, that happened was I, I came over the top of a hill on Moguls and there was a little boy standing there who was, you know, maybe three feet tall. So I didn't see him as I crested the hill. And just to prevent myself from hitting him, I went a direction I wasn't supposed to go. And pretty soon I fell. So yeah. not, not that it was his fault. I mean, it was, you know, but the, the injury happened and I completely understand now that yeah. the importance of, of training to protect yourself from the injury. Absolutely. And most injuries occur like that non-contact. Yeah. And we see a lot of that. And especially with aging population. Again, I hate that word, but yeah. Uh, just you called know. me old. <laughs> hey, I'm I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm right behind you. But um yeah, that's where, you know, there's this mindset of, oh, I'm still twenty. I'm gonna go play kickball. Uh, but that's how most injuries occur. They occur in non-contact, uh, especially ACL injuries. You know, I've had clients who were in the gay men's chorus and they were doing a kick and they tore their ACL. 
Oh, really? You know? wow. So it's not like people are playing football and getting tackled. Right. It's, you know, little things like uh, one of my friends was uh, lifting to do something and he tore his, his tricep tendon and his tricep literally rolled up. Ooh. That's what it does. <laughs> so he had to have it, you know, reattached. And, you know, it's people often think that they're going to get injured just by doing um, you know, heavy contact motions like playing rugby. Sure. Truth is, a lot of these happen with, you know, stepping off a curb incorrectly. So for a client like you, I would say, okay, these are the things we're going to do specifically that are going to train your body to handle the forces of skiing. Right. So that when this happens again, you will not be injured. Gotcha. And that is a lot of what the focus is with my clients who are in their 40s. Nice. So it sounds like, it, especially as we age, if we want to continue to lead an active lifestyle and we have maybe had some downtime mm -hmm. it, or we're switching to a new sport or new, sure. new type of activity, that's when it's really important to engage someone like you who can, can help you understand what is best for your body, especially if you're not in that industry. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. If from a financial aspect, because I know personal training, uh, it's a luxury, you know. Um, I think the baby boomer generation is the first generation that's realizing that it's more of a necessity. And fortunately, they have the expendable income to be able to afford it. But, you know, I have young kids come to me who want to train. And when, you know, they find out how expensive it is, they're... They look sad and hard <laughs> and I get it, you know, like, uh, it's, it's just one of those things, but there are ways around it. Mm -hmm. So, like I said, I am more than willing to help people out without saying, well, I'm not going to help you unless you come personal training, for me. <laughs> Check. Um, but you have to get yourself out there. Yeah, you have to make true. yourself go to these classes. And, you know, I have a strong relationship with my athletes that take my classes. I see them regularly they're at all my classes each week so i know their bodies and i can give them the guidance that they need and they don't have to you know spend x amount of dollars on personal training but i do think that you know this is what i always say if you want to learn to play piano you don't teach yourself from youtube <laughs> okay you hire an instructor to teach you how to play piano right if you want to learn to do this the right way you have to make that investment and look at it as an investment, right, um, sure. even if it's temporary. You know, right. I have clients who I will train for the rest of their lives. They love it. They love me. They won't do it on their own. They tell me all I do at work all day is tell people what to do. I want to come to you and have you tell me what to do. <laughs> yeah, those, are, those are my favorite clients. <laughs> but, you know, I also have people that come to me for one or two sessions who want to talk about nutrition. They just are so overwhelmed. Um, and, you know, you can get the information without having to break your bank. Right. Absolutely. It's, it's out there. There's right. lots of great articles. I post a lot of um, articles that I write. I also post a lot of links to my colleagues' articles that I, you know, think are pertinent. Um, so reading up, but making sure, as you know, the Internet is filled with, Good things and bad things. Yeah. There's a lot of conflicting information, and I find sometimes people get overwhelmed by that. So if you have an instructor that you like, that you build a relationship with, 
then they can kind of guide you to the right and proper information. Absolutely. Makes, makes a lot of sense. So I got a question for you. Yeah. Um, are there any particular exercises that men in their 40s should consider doing that they might not have considered when they were younger? Um, maybe you, it sounds like a lot of us have lower back problems. Is, is there yeah. something that might address lower back or other areas that you see as common problems? Yeah, I mean, that ties back into kind of that pre, I call it movement prep. So getting you prepped for the workout that's to come. Um, any sort of like uh, for lower back, strengthening lower back, strengthening core is obviously super important. A lot of people misinterpret core to just mean abs. Mm. That's not true. Um, your core in, incorporates your inner thighs and incorporates your glute medius, which is on the side of your butt. Um, your deep internal core muscles, uh, your transverse abdominis. Um, so doing movements like, you know, on the floor, small movements like back extensions, like cobra, yeah. you know, small yeah. strengthening motions, uh, strengthening the muscle between your shoulder blades. It's called your rhomboids. That's also very important. Also the muscles in your mid to lower middle back, your uh, middle and lower uh, trapezius, those muscles help pull your shoulders back and down. So that pulls you into proper posture. Um, those are all small exercises that I think should be incorporated into anyone's workout, mm -hmm. especially a 40 year old plus workout, because again, we're correcting the postural movements. Right. So I can't have you do a deadlift properly if you've got an excessive forward lean, because that's going to now front load weight and make you bend and round your back, which puts a lot of pressure on your lower back, and you're eventually going to have disc issues okay? oh, gotcha. and, and pain. So you're going to injure yourself. As um, he's mentioning all these muscles, I keep moving my muscles. Right. I know. I think both of us are sitting up taller and taller as you it's talk. Because that's what happens. Yeah. Is right. I know that we're moving along the right path to success when clients start to tell me that. Yeah. They start to tell me that their mind-body connection is improving, or they'll say to me, um, you know, I'm more aware. I walked, I was walking down the street and I walked by a window and I saw my reflection and I saw I was slouching and I pulled back or they, they'll say to me all the time, I can hear you even when you're not here saying your shoulders back, chest up, shoulders back. Um, I had a client who is 72 years old. He suffers from major rheumatoid arthritis. Um, for him, this was about, uh, when we started, he wanted to, you know, lose his belly and get big. And I was like, let's focus on quality of life. And he personally called me one day and was at the airport and said to me, I just want you to know that I've always had a very hard time going through the airport, you know, work, traveling with a suitcase. He was, I just did it and I had no pain. Yes, and awesome. to me, that was a huge success story. Absolutely. So those those smaller activation movements where we're really waking up these underactive muscles, those would be the most important things to focus on. So I've, I have read a lot of information lately that some people are becoming very fanatical, almost uh, to biblical proportions, about deadlifts being one of the best exercises out there. Which it sounds like you would agree with that. I love yeah. deadlifts. Done, right? It's probably one of my favorite exercises. Yeah. So here's my question to you: What do you think a deadlift works? I always thought it did my upper back legs and my butt. Hamstrings. Yeah, hamstrings. Butt and lower back. That's what I would, would guess. Okay. So you guys are correct, but uh, a deadlift is actually a total body movement. So when done correctly, uh, one of the biggest 
issues with doing a deadlift correctly is having that upper back activation. Mm -hmm. So those rhomboids that pull your shoulder blades back. Because as soon as you lose that movement and you're going into that hinge, you start to fall, which puts all the pressure on your lower back. That's probably what we're doing. If you're feeling your lower back, it's telling me that something's not right. Okay. Um, It takes me a long time to train a client to do a deadlift properly. There are a lot of compensation patterns that people do. Um, It is probably the number one exercise I see people do incorrectly in the gym. And it pains me to see because it is just an injury waiting to happen. Um, When done correctly, however, though, I think it's one of the most effective total body workout or uh, lifts. It's um, it works everything. You're working your glutes, you're working your hamstrings, you're working your calves, you're working all of your posterior chain. So your upper back, um, your lower back has, your core has to be engaged because if your core is not properly engaged, your lower back is going to take the, you know, the brunt of the work. So yeah, I'm a huge fan of deadlifts. However, I'm also a USAW Olympic, uh, level one Olympic coach, um, and I feel comfortable teaching somebody how to do a deadlift properly. Um, however, if you are not coached correctly on a deadlift, it could probably be one of the most dangerous lifts. Exactly. So my suggestion with that is that you hire somebody professional who knows what they're doing. None of that bro science on YouTube. <laughs> oh, uh, the guys look so good. <laughs> well, you'd be surprised. <laughs> I watch a lot of these videos and it just, I'm like, Oh my God. Um, but yeah, great, great movement. Like I said, when I deadlifting three, 400 pounds, it takes me three minutes to recover. Yeah. Like I'm so, I sweat more when I do deadlifts than I, when I do cardio. Wow. And that should tell you something. I, I always tell, I, I did actually some one rep max testing with my athletes the other day and we did deadlifts and this is what I said to them. I don't care what your one rep max is if your form sucks because that doesn't count. And when we do one rep max testing, we do that because down the road when we do strength cycles, we do percentages of one rep max. So on one day we might do 75% of your one rep max. Well, if you've skewed your one rep max to a number that's you doing a shitty lift. That's yes. <laughs> okay. We have a grown-up audience. <laughs> okay, <That's, laughs> let me say that. We're all adults here. Yeah. Um, it, then you've skewed that number, which is is not going to benefit you down the road because all of your numbers thereafter are going to be skewed and you're going to have you know compensation patterns and you're not going to do the lift correctly. Mm-hmm. So I am very, very, very keen on form. So for me, it is all about taking the weight down, learning how to do it properly, and not injuring yourself. So I am, agree with you. You should be doing that. What's up, David? Well, I think it's, <laughs> you know, I'm no professional, but it's, it, it's always comical to me to watch individuals at the gym who are lifting oftentimes 50%, 100%, 200% more than what they should be lifting, and the way that they're manipulating their bodies so they can do these curls or that they can, you know, squats or whatever, the things that they're doing. And I just, I I think to myself, I know that you're, if you could just see what you were doing, if you could look at the mirror and see what you were doing, you would know that you were doing it wrong. But there's also this, I think this innate desire, especially among men to want to prove that you are super, super man at the gym. (laughs) 
He's got a lot of new ideas. Yeah, exactly. You, you want to go back to the gym, don't you? No, I don't necessarily, <laughs> but I want. I definitely this. I think it it makes me and and hopefully you uh, think about the ways that you are lifting at the gym and how you can improve upon them. You know, oh, we yeah. we all go to the gym and we think about uh, uh, wanting to feel better and look better. But there's probably there there's there needs to be some planning ahead, and I think that's one of the things John and I definitely need to do, and probably most of our listeners who want to be getting back into the gym or are in the gym, how can they do it with a little I bit of advice? I suggest for people that are getting back into the gym, um, don't go overboard because obviously you're more prone to an injury. You definitely want to focus on your mobility and strengthening underactive muscles. Um, but my general recommendation is if you're going to start off, start off with two to three times a week. And I would start off with a total body uh, program. So with that being said, um, you do need to allow yourself at least 24 hours of rest in between. So I wouldn't um, – and there's a big trend in L.A. right now with boutique fitness. We've got lots of – um, different boot camps and there's class pass so people can go to all these different things and and what's happening is people are taking a boot camp class that might be you know extensive chest and shoulders for one day but then the next day they're going to CrossFit and they're doing all these shoulder movements and then the next day they're going to another class and they're doing all these shoulder movements and so there's not a lot of structure to their programming. Whereas if you stick to one program, you're better served because then you can give your body the rest that it needs. Rest is just as important as working out. Remember, overtraining is equally as ineffective as undertraining. Right. Um, so I, you know, you have to have some form of plan. To you can't just walk into the gym and say, "Oh, I'm going to do chest today." Right. Oh, I'm going to do arms because I guarantee you, people forget what they've done and they end up overdoing the same muscles and they forget certain areas. Right. So they, you know, oh, I, I'm I've done legs in two weeks. I'll do legs today. Sure. So having that mapped out, it doesn't have to be complex. Um, but that's why I think in the beginning it's good to do total body because that's easy for people. Yeah. You can do total body movements. Um, you can do movements that are compound, like deadlifts and dumbbell thrusters and things like that, that can effectively hit multiple muscles in one exercise. Um, but then you need to allow yourself, you can't do that every day. So start off with two to three times a week. Then once you become more familiar with the gym and you want to take it to the next level, maybe you can break yourself off into you know a split routine where you're doing upper body one day, lower body the next day. In that instance, you could work out two days in a row, okay? okay? Or for me, I do a split routine where I do, you know, chest one day, the next day I do legs, then I take a rest day. Then the next day I do shoulders, then the next day I do, you know, hamstrings, then the next day I do back, and then I take a rest day. So I think uh, getting back into it, you should, you know, focus on just getting in, doing the mobility, uh, working on activation techniques, maybe some total body movements, try some HIIT. HIIT stands for high intensity interval training. Okay. Um, uh, movements uh, and see how you feel. Yeah. I always tell people, listen to your body. You, you know, if something hurts and know the difference between pain and discomfort, yeah. because there's a distinguished difference between that. You know? Right. 
Okay. Being uncomfortable is okay. That's taking your body outside of its comfort zone, and that's where we see growth. Pain, however, is a legitimate warning from your body that something is wrong. So listen to your body, um, and if you, you know, if you're, if you didn't get a good night's sleep and you're not feeling great, and you go into the gym, you're probably going to have a crappy workout. So, you know, and, and those are other things too that you know people will be like. Well, last week I lifted this much and this week I lifted less. And I'm like, yeah, but, you know, maybe you had a bad night's sleep. Maybe you didn't eat properly. Or maybe last week we did deadlifts first and now we're doing them last. Right. It's going to have a huge impact on how much weight you're going to do. Right. You know, so, um, but yeah, I think just getting in and getting started is the best way to go. And if Cool. Well, thank you again for your time. Um, where again can our audience find you? Okay, so Facebook, uh, Facebook.com slash Aaron Guy CPT. Uh, Twitter, I am Aaron Guy CPT. And Instagram, I am Aaron Guy underscore CPT. Gotcha, cool. So um, we'll again have all that in the show notes so our audience can find you. You do have great videos, so hopefully they'll check you out there. And, oh, and um, my website too, AaronGuy.com. Eric, don't forget about that. I was forgetting about that. That's the most important one. Everybody has a website. <laughs> um, and uh, Aaron will be contributing to our October Career Money Lifestyle Newsletter, um, where he's going to talk about um, how to survive the calorie indulgent holiday season and not get too out of shape. <laughs> so well, it it's a, that's an, actually a great article. It comes up every year. Yeah, yes. yeah. It's it's a it's a very anxious time of year for those of us who are five four and ha tend to take after their mother. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we look forward, forward we look forward to having you um, contributing another piece to um, the Crimean Lifestyle Newsletter, and um, we look forward to having you back again in the future. This is always very informative and helpful. So thank awesome. you so much for your time. We appreciate it. Thank awesome. You. Thanks, guys. It was good to see you. Absolutely, you too. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of Queer Money. We hope this one enthused you as well as it is, has done for us. John and I are uh, enthusiastically getting back into the gym, trying to get a little bit more fit physically. We know that we're fit financially, but the two pair well. So enjoy this week's episode. Uh, and uh, if you have any goals that you'd like to share about being fit physically or financially, you can always do that on our Twitter page or on our Facebook page. Thanks again for enjoying the show. And uh, remember to subscribe on iTunes. Have a good week. Okay, we just serviced you. Now you get to service us by subscribing to this podcast on iTunes and signing up for the Queer Money Lifestyle Newsletter at queer.money. Well, I'm not really gay. <laughs> <laughs> would help me if I had a personal chef made all me all my healthy meals for me. Right. So instead, I'll have a Snickers tonight for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> the other end, I like the butts. So. <laughs> yeah. uh, From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking Queer Money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.